0: Devotion for the Dying Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter Continuing Chapter 6 Dear Reader, whoever you may be now reading what I write, think, do you value grace? Do you believe that gold and silver and precious stones are but dirt in comparison with what may be termed a little grace, though indeed all grace is great? You do know it well enough, You fully believe it. Then bring that faith into practice. Look at your past life. You have perhaps had to move from one place to another. Was your first thought to look to the spiritual advantages you might gain by your change of residence, daily mass and the rest? You may have many a time taken a holiday in the country. Did you previously ascertain whether there was a church in the place? Or perhaps have you not known there was not one and yet determined to spend your holiday in one place you fancied more than another. Though there was no blessed sacrament there, no daily sacrifice of the Mass, no opportunity of receiving the sacraments. Think of it, dear reader. Look through your life, your daily life, as well as long years back, and see if you are the least bit as anxious to obtain spiritual riches as to obtain worldly goods. Do you not allow any little matter to interfere, for instance, with a visit to the Blessed Sacrament? God put aside for your own comfort. How sad it is. Souls are being lost daily, hourly, momentarily. With every breath we draw, a soul has drawn the last breath in this world of mercy and has entered another region, a region where the divine justice is exercised with a severity we shrink back from contemplating. And if we could ask each miserable soul that has already commenced its eternity of woe why it was lost, what, if it answered truly, must be its answer? It had neglected grace. I beg, I entreat all who read this, think of what I say. Do you value the salvation of your soul? Then value grace. Do you care for the souls of others, your children, relations, those around you whom you love, or those unknown to you, but whom you love because Jesus loves them and died to save them? Do you care to assist with him in saving them? Then you must value grace. Do you care with Jesus to glorify your Father who is in heaven? You must value grace. These are three motives. You may look at them separately and influence yourself by whichever has most weight with you. You may say to yourself, For my own good, I will get all the grace I can. Or, For my neighbor's good, I will strive not to lose graces that so many poor souls are in such great need of. Or you may say, For God's good, to glorify Him, that His wonderful mercy may be shown upon this sinful world, I will treasure, I will esteem His graces, as it is His wish I should. Take these three motives separately, if you will, though they are but one in reality, and see if they will not induce you to make a strong resolution for the remainder of your life, to look at grace in a different light, to realize that it is an entity, a real thing, far more real, far more valuable than the greatest treasure this world could give us. But in thus strongly advocating the esteem of grace, I would not have my meaning misunderstood. There are some sadly mistaken people who seem to think that the Church is the only place where God gives grace. Now, whereas I bitterly deplored the disregard so prevalent among Catholics of all classes for the graces they may obtain in God's house, the place where he openeth his hand and filleth with his blessings every living creature. Likewise do I grieve over some, I do not think their number is great, but still they do exist, who are so wedded to a wooden rule they have made for themselves that not even to do an act of charity will they miss one of the services of the church they are accustomed to. I myself remember a case in point. One who was nursing a sick person, whom she naturally did not like to leave unattended, even to assist at the Sunday's Mass, sent to inquire of a good woman she knew, whether she would come and sit with the invalid while she was away at the early Mass. She was surprised, and not a little disedified by a refusal from this religious person, on the ground that she was always accustomed to hear both the early and the high Mass. I would counsel those who feel they are wanting in a proper spirit of liberty to invoke every morning most earnestly the third person of the Blessed Trinity. Let them unite themselves to the heart of Mary and make an offering of the precious blood in union with the dear motherly heart that furnished it. And soon, very soon, will they find wonderful effects of God's Holy Spirit produced in their souls to return to the subject from which I have so long digressed, the people who are placed in such a state of life that they are really hindered from many graces, from obtaining the powerful helps God gives us to fight against the devil, the world, and our own corrupt nature. There are many worthy people who have a very great longing to do good. They would be very happy to have the opportunities they see enjoyed by others of hearing Mass, frequenting the sacraments, visiting our dear Lord in the blessed sacrament, and making reparation to him for the offenses offered to him. But they think, as they are so much occupied with their various duties, they cannot do the good they would. And yet, how much good they may do that they have do not think of. The best intention we can have in all our actions is the intention of doing the adorable will of God. That thought will give a zest to all we do. If we are doing our actions because they are the will of our Father who is in heaven, we shall do them as we should imagine He would wish us to, and shall therefore avoid that overhaste, that excited way of setting about our daily work, that almost certainly produces numerous venial sins, and not infrequently mortal. If we are doing our actions because they are the will of God, we shall likewise do them earnestly and carefully. Cursed is he who doeth the work of the Lord negligently. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. When all things were in quiet silence, and the night in the midst of her course, when thy almighty word, O Lord, came down from thy royal throne, and the angels praised thee, saying, Glory to God in the highest, likewise spake they to the inhabitants of earth, bringing thy message thy promise of peace to a troubled world. But to whom would that priceless treasure be given? Not to men of noted good deeds. No, it was simply to men of good will. Glory to thee, O God, the heavenly army sang. Glory to thee in the highest. Peace to the poor human race. Peace, even on earth, to men of good will. Chapter 7, we have said elsewhere that, after the possession of himself, God can give Mary nothing she prizes so greatly as the souls for whom Jesus shed his blood. Therefore, how dearly will she love those who devote themselves to saving souls at the last hour of that time God has allotted to them. The hour of death has come at this present time while I am writing for many upon this earth. I join my work in intention to the mass or masses being said in some part of the world at this moment in union with the maternal heart of Our Lady, who longs for the salvation of those to whom death is approaching rapidly, and who, if it surprises them in their present state, will never receive Mary's embrace in heaven. I join with that dear motherly heart in an earnest offering of the precious blood of the altar. I stay my pen to repeat, My Jesus, mercy, in honor of the five wounds of our Lord. And with a glad thought of the infinite mercy of God, I hope my prayer has produced some fruit. I look gladly to purgatory, wondering if there are many souls there through the precious blood which I daily offer for them. I turn happily to my mother and say, Yes, sweet mother, it was with you I prayed. It is your heavenly wish I offer on this earth. God must grant it to you. And I strengthen my resolution to imitate Mary more more, and to be more closely united to her, that my prayer may be more powerful with God. It would be quite beyond the limits of this book to enter into the subject of the imitation of Mary and the best plan of doing so. I can but recommend those who have not read True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort to read and reread it, to study it, to practice it, and they will most certainly learn to imitate Mary by that devotion in a way that will render them most pleasing to God. What I wish to draw attention to here is the imitation of the maternal love of Our Lady for the souls of others. An ordinary mother's heart, I mean, of course, a good mother, is something very beautiful. There is a devotedness, an unselfishness we must admire and love in it. What must be the heart of the one, perfect, spotless Mary? Mary, Mother of Jesus. There is no created thing more beautiful than the heart of Mary, except the heart of Jesus. The Immaculate Virgin Heart of Mary was well-pleasing to the Eternal Father, as from His high throne He looked upon that work of His hands and, delighting in its beauty, proclaimed it good. That virginal heart with its stainless blood, the source of his own future human life, was a very world of loveliness to the eternal word. A wondrous attraction was that sweet heart of Mary to the Holy Ghost, who from the Immaculate Blood would produce the precious blood, by the merits of which he, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, would work upon this earth and live in the hearts of men. Unspeakable was the love with which the ever-blessed Trinity, drew in a close embrace the heart which turned to it with a love that even the seraphim have not. With unutterable complacency were the desires of that heart listened to by God and answered in a way its humility dreamed not of. This has been taken from Devotion for the Dying, Mary's Call to Her Loving Children, by Venerable Mother Mary Potter, published by Tan Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or find them on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain.